Hello and welcome back to the Future Wildlife Podcast. Over the past couple of weeks, I've spoken to Marcus Mossberger and Erin Peters, two people who I know pretty well and regularly chat with about all things work. And today, I've got, I suppose, what's the final episode of this kind of mini-series within a series. My guest is Catherine Lewis. She's a friend of mine who lives locally. We often go for a coffee and a stroll around our local park to discuss not just all these work, but also the different projects we're working on as well. And Kat has some brilliant insights about culture, transformation, employee engagement, communication. And that's why I invited her onto the show today. She's just launched her own consultancy. She brings over a decade of experience working with senior leaders and CEOs within both the scale-up that she worked at during that time, Reward Gateway, as well as other businesses through her role as a subject matter specialist at Tenzing, the private equity firm where I've also worked as the future of work expert. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation. But before we jump into it, I've been taking a bit of time off over the summer. A newsletter is going out sporadically, but I'll be relaunching it in September so I'll share more details with you over the coming weeks. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me about coming in to speak with your team or at your event, then you can do so via LinkedIn or via my website. I share links to both in the show notes. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kat Lewis. So Kat, it's great to have you on my podcast at last. Tell me what you're most excited about for the next year. I feel at the moment like I'm in a partly a transformation stage in my career and Mm. um, very handy Ollie your book was part of helping me sort of make that realization so thank you to you. (laughs) Um, My pleasure. And so I I was in a um, corporate role for over a decade in my life and really sort of making my spending that time building my network my professional reputation all of these different aspects and then really understanding now where I can make the most impact at work and having all that time in the employee engagement space just seeing Mm. where the um, root of root of it can be fixed so working more with leaders because they're the ones that impact the rest of the company. So professionally, professionally, I'm most looking forward to working with leaders and transforming the way that people lead and opening them up to new ideas of leadership as tech has influenced such a change in how people think and act at work. I can talk to you a little bit more about that. Um, And then outside of work, because of redesigning my life and knowing that work now can be designed around how you want to live personally I'm excited about building a career that fits around my life rather than having a life that fits around my career so I think it takes quite a while to unlearn being employed and that's been something that I've had to um I've had to figure out but that's that's another point I'm excited for so is it a coincidence that you are undergoing this transformation from your personal point of view, you know, your work and your life, and that you're so intrigued, passionate about driving transformation within companies. Is that just a coincidence? Am I reading too much into that? Um, I I think because of it's just the person that I am, like the two go hand in hand. I am quite um, future forward thinking, so I will... Um, I'll always be keen to explore. I'll always be keen to learn. I always want to know how to make things better. 
and yeah I think for me I just like building things for like being the host of building something really great and then passing that on to somebody else to take and make their own so Yeah. yeah I think um I see that in my personal sense when I just love to travel and go and explore different places and I will generally make friends everywhere that I go. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think they those two do intertwine, but that's what's so special is when you know your natural skill set and then you can build a career around that, that as well. It doesn't become... Yeah. Um, it doesn't become a chore. It becomes something you can be really passionate about. And as I as I got into into my later stage of my last role I would just have people meeting me and they would say on their first impression like wow you're really passionate about this it became a bit of a thing I started to take notice off so it was like how can I hone that to um to yeah build something that is in my vision and in my shape and in my personality that fits yeah I was finding it interesting when we were talking because uh, obviously reward gateway is all about employee engagement Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, know, you know a lot more about employee engagement than I do, but it seemed like your role was almost—it was like this sort of employee engagement type role, and the, the things that you are interested in, you know, the things that make people engage, are the types of things that you're naturally passionate about building into a culture. So, how was it playing that kind of role within a business which, in and of itself, was designed to help other companies build that type of approach? You see what I mean? It's a kind yeah, of—it cool. was a, a steep, it was a deep deep meta thing as well it was deep meta I always felt like I was a bit like the showroom so be like oh and get on stage and it was different to any other um HR role I suppose because all eyes would be on it so people Mm. would want to see exactly what you're doing that you'd have I, I can think back to COVID and I got asked to share how we were approaching communications to that crisis and it was only quite a uh, few weeks into lockdown, so I'm in my, on my garden table in my bedroom at the time in <laughs> and we had like 800 people rock up to the first webinar, and wow. so they're all yeah. looking at like, what are you, what are you doing, and yeah. that away. So it was quite meta because you're there just in your own little reward gateway world, which was a really um, special place at that time. And then knowing that you're on show to everybody else who wants to see how you're living and breathing it. Um, And I guess that's it. Like one of the employees saying saying to me once, like, if you cut cat, she'd bleed reward gateway. That's what you have to do when you are the engagement lead for a company. I think the role and the terminology for me has changed over time. So I think it's more about experience that you're focusing on. I would now say that the role had two levels. I'd be focusing on leadership experience, which was really, really interesting to me. And then supporting that with the employee experience that those both of those have got to be in line to deliver on strategy and actually what engagement is is purely a metric um I don't think people go to work and think well I feel really engaged right now (laughs) um they feel multiple things at work and that's measured by the engagement scores that you get but really the the better description for it is what's what's the experience that you're able to create for both sides of the coin and be that bridge in the middle between um, execs at the top that have that are at a certain stage in their career and their view of work is completely different to somebody who's perhaps 
in their first role at work or is a working parent or is someone like me building their career or all the different types of personalities you have to open up leadership um vision and mindset to being wholly inclusive of that audience yeah let's be really reductionist and just reduce everything down to a couple of uh, pithy little uh, statements so what are leaders doing wrong right now within companies that can be easily fixed so all right i've got a perfect line for you here Mm -hmm. um ceo chief executive officer is culture engagement opportunity so their whole focus should be on steering the culture creating a wonderful experience and driving engagement and seeking opportunities for the business. That is how the most successful CEOs I've worked with have switched their mindset and really focused um, with communication really at the forefront of everything that they do. They need to be the, uh, this is the way that I, I tend to talk to leads about getting them to see their role differently. People want to be part of a narrative that's the way tech has flipped us now from mm. social media days, the millennial audience. Everybody's got main character energy. They're bringing around everywhere, being part of their own story. And as a CEO, you are the lead protagonist in a company. So if you're mm. not telling the story, who is going to be doing that? And yeah. they need to be the one that is driving there, being that lead role and making sure that everybody understands you know exactly what the strategy is that's being rolled out and then including the others and they're part of the narrative through the business so that helps a lot of people sort of see how storytelling um becomes part of the ceo role and how they need to change their ways of working to incorporate that Hmm. i don't know why it came to me there but i had a chat with a guy on the podcast a while ago and he was at unilever for years in Mm -hmm. You know, kind of part when they did their massive transformation, it must have been in the sort of mid to late noughties, I suppose. But I remember saying to him, talking to him and mentioning about this idea of bringing your whole self to work. You know, there's this idea now that everyone should bring their whole self to work. And I can ask you in a minute what you think about that idea. But he said something really interesting, which was actually for most leaders, it isn't about bringing your whole self to work. It's about making sure that you bring the best self to work which enables the people who you work with you and for you mm-hmm. to do their best work because what nobody needs is the leader turning up and having a shit morning and bringing that <laughs> shit morning into the meeting and killing you know the vibe however and I say that just to sort of frame this next bit which is that I get that I mean like when you were talking there I, I could see when I was in that role that you're having to be the the chief storyteller mm-hmm. in a sense but you have to stop it, you know, veering into bullshit and veering into false narratives as well. And I wonder how you get that right balance between making sure that everyone understands their role in the story, their role in the play, yeah. without dressing up that there are times which are more challenging, there are times which are fun, and there are times which everyone's really struggling and having to knuckle down, and there are times when people get laid off, and there's nothing great about that. So it's kind of complex, clearly, but how does that sort of story idea actually play out in reality I find the best way to do it is to keep a strategy as a guide I think there's (laughs) a lot of leaders out there 
patting themselves on the back for getting up maybe once a quarter on stage, saying what the vision is for the company, what they hope to achieve in the next three quarters. Sometimes it's even less than that as well. Maybe it's like mm. a biannual event. And they think they're doing a fantastic job because they're like, wow, everybody really knows what's going on. That is not effective storytelling. It's not inclusive of people that learn in different ways. It doesn't give people something to anchor them back to. And it's not at the pace of how stories are told anymore. Mm. It needs to be done on a frequent basis. It needs to be something that people can reflect on. And if you are able to put your strategy down onto paper, for one, not just get up and say it, put it down on paper, commit to it, you will then be able to work with somebody like me, for instance, who will find those trends and your key statements your quotes that you can plaster everywhere and get into people's heads Mm. so I would generally be working with leaders to find out right what's your three things that will be the chapter headings I suppose you could call them but the subject headings for these different activities we want to achieve and you repeat and you repeat and you repeat until you are annoying yourself. And it's only when you get to that point that perhaps you're starting to embed your story in other people's heads. There's a lot that you need to compete with. Um, And I just, I, I just think it's, it's got to be done in a like multimedia way. There's the digital side, there's the, all these different channels now. And as I said, I said at the start of this, too many people just getting up and saying it at the AGM or mm. whatever it is. That's not sticking anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask that from a practical point of view. Well, two things really. And obviously every single case is going to be different. But what kind of cadence is right? And does it depend on the size of the company? And how do channels fit into that? So, for example, yeah. if you're a company of 20 people, you're probably just engaging with your staff so much more frequently than you are if you're a company of 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. So clearly there's going to be a range where, you know, perhaps you employ more channels when you're a larger organization in order to distribute the message more evenly, but you might reduce the cadence because it's just unrealistic to get out to people as often or not. You know, should every leader be thinking, well, I should be touching the work lives of the people who work with me every week or every month at the very least how should people people think about it I believe that best practice is to be showing up for your people every week somebody even if it's shared amongst the leadership team your employees are expected to show up every week every day you should be showing Mm. up at least once a week to say hey I'm here I care I'm visible and I'm focused are you so demonstrate the behaviors that you want others to deliver and Yes, I mean, there are other times when perhaps through crisis, you would increase increase the amount that you're talking. Um, but on a minimum, I would say absolute minimum would be once a month from people. And most that you'd really need to be doing would probably be like once a week. Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about that question earlier on I never asked you about bringing your whole self to work? What do you reckon about that? <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, well, that goes a little bit back to to when you're asking about my experience. Actually, there's certain roles that you're in where you can't always bring yourself to work because you need to be the one that is bringing the energy to certain activities or being the absolute champion for that. So there is a little bit of um, 
I suppose acting that comes into play and like you say if you're having a really shit day <laughs> it might not be best as a leader to bring that into work there are time time and there are times and places to drop that in I know um, Doug Butler for instance who was CEO at RG when we um, were delivering our mental health campaign and opening up conversation on that removing stigma completely he sat quiet on it for a little while but once he saw the campaign was underway he realized that was the time to tell people sometimes I have really crap days right and I'm going to tell you a personal account of one and he did that twice actually so it was very well measured it was enough to show I feel I have feelings too these are um, accounts of what happened to me but not an outpouring of um of everything else because you need to be seen to be stable strong yeah. you know all of those things that you yeah. to, but showing a little bit of um, humility from time to time or a little bit of feeling when it's needed it's all about the measurements when you're in that leadership level yeah yeah I think back to how I've done it in the past and I definitely I mean I definitely veer on the more transparent side as in mm-hmm. I would like to think I didn't bring my uh, shit self into work (laughs) because you end up being a drain on people. But I do think it's just such a fine balance, isn't it? And this is where everyone's personalities are just so different. And, you know, I think I'm just quite comfortable talking about the more challenging moments that I have in my life. And I do think that if it's introduced in the right way, it Uh can empower people to you know do better work which for me that still remains the job as a leader it doesn't mean you have to lay everything on the table every morning but I do think some discussion about that can be healthy there's really small shifts I remember talking to one of the therapists from self space who are a um, fantastic um, group of um, psychologists and psychiatrists and things based in London and we talked around just the power of starting meetings off with uh, how are you like just Mm. five minutes to dedicating that when we're talking about bringing your full self to work I think it's about those moments where you check in and then you as a leader can gauge how much I bring here. So there's that side of the general well-being. And then for me, looking at how to open up communications and bring more transparency and honesty into the workplace. This is all about building rapport with people as well, which can be quite hard if it's hybrid as well, because you don't you can't right now see all my body language or gauge my energy in the same way. So you would use openness as a way of establishing rapport with somebody and building that trust but it's got to be in as I say the measured amounts I I yeah. feel are, are right for work and um not to perhaps overwhelm people with everything you've got going on in your life that's, yeah. that's the way leaders play it yeah exactly I think it's the uh, it is a delicate balance and then some people are more skilled at doing it than others doing it for leaders I'll tell you of um of one guy that's done it really nicely so Rory Shedden at MPLC I've done a lot of work and communication um particularly with him and talked with him about how to bring his personality as a new CEO to the company um to employees without necessarily communicating it so if it's a video message that's going out and he wants to share that sense of well-being and people looking after himself we were taking his CEO updates out on a walk or different settings. So he'd go down mm. to the front and be saying, like, this is what I would like you to feel you can do at work. Here's me doing yeah. that. Um, and, yeah, his his backgrounds that he might put on, sharing different stories and things like this. Perhaps he ends it with a song. So you can bring out your personalities in well, ways. Not, not him singing. Not yeah, him. Rory. Not Rory singing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he didn't tell me that. 
<laughs> Give us a song. Um, and those are all ways of sort of getting people to see your personality in different ways. Yeah. I remember um, Glenn Elliott, who founded Reward Gateway, he always talked to me about um, my role in leadership. How would people remember me? And after I published my book, he was like, you're going to be known as the unicorn. And it soon got established because everybody would be sending me unicorn things. I don't know if you've been mm. sent loads of flywheels, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah a stack of them over there in the corner just uh, yeah industrial size ones because his thing that he'd always used as a leader was his dog wesley and wesley would feed mm. lots in that to turn on the rapport and something common ground for people and yeah. using that as part of the uh storytelling aspect and yeah you will get something that clicks in people's mind that you are then remembered by yeah forever <laughs> Yeah, well, that's really interesting because I, I, so now it's funny now because uh, I, I'm sort of talking in the past about being a leader in a sense. Mm-hmm. And there's been a couple of years since I was in a, a CEO role, but I intend to do it again at some point. And it'll be really interesting for me next time, I think, personally, because since then, I now have established a certain, I don't know, reputation or people, know, right. people know me for certain things. And it often is about, and, you know, in the book, yeah, the book's about the future of work, but it's fundamentally about the relationship between work and personal life. And the fact you even care about that tells people something, I guess. So it's going to be an interesting experience whether that precedes me and or and whether that's a good thing or not. I remember when I started my first job out of university was at Bloomberg. And uh, Michael Bloomberg is obviously an incredibly successful businessman. He's also subsequently been mayor of New York City and yeah, was talking and running for president. But what was really weird was you get on the first day his autobiography, and and it's um, it's I don't know. I, I won't go too far on this because uh, nobody <laughs> needs to hear about my experience at Bloomberg. But it was a bit, it was a bit culty when you turn up, and it's like, right now you work for my company, and this is all about me, and I'm going to tell you the way I think, and like there's some value in it, and I think it, I, I, I kind of like a business biography, but I felt like I was being told the way it was in a sense, and the reason I'm getting at that is I really like that subtle way that you mentioned about how Rory's doing it, as in you're showing people what you care about and what you're like, rather than telling them oh I'm this kind of person this is this sort of culture and this is the way we are but actually it's all about showing people you can say whatever you like but unless you actually behave in a way which backs it up then none of it means anything well here's another little short statement for you I think leaders show don't tell yeah so that goes into the leading by example and Mm. you can set the tone show people like this is how I am but also be accepting of other people showing up and showing yeah. how they like to do things too. Yeah, exactly. And that has to be the thing. So I've spent a, over the last couple of weeks even, I've spent a bit of time with a few different companies. And for a start, there's two things which came out of it. One is that nobody's worked out the hybrid remote thing. Well, very few companies <laughs> have really worked that out and they're really struggling with it. And it starts with the attitude of the leaders, frankly, because there are still particularly... And again, it's just massively reducing this to some generalizations, but you have to. There's a generation of people who still can't wrap their heads around that there's another way of working. And the problem is, is when you start from that perspective, it it's impossible to build a healthy culture as regards to where and when you work. So that's one thing. Nobody's worked that thing out yet. 
The other thing is, well, look, I just, I, I just fundamentally think that there's a serious lack of skills among most leaders and managers generally. And I think there's a lack of skills in, in leaders and managers before COVID. And I think it's even worse now because we've increased more variables and more parameters to what it takes to lead people. Fundamentally, place and time being two of those new variables. <laughs> uh, so what's your experience? Because I've always got the feeling that, well, look, knowing you and knowing Glenn a little bit, you know, that Reward Gateway seemed like a place which was just very well conceived, that things were thought of, that people did do what they said they were going to do and that they showed instead of told. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it like working in that culture and how can leaders be intentional about trying to build that type of culture within their organisations? Yeah, sure. Working in that culture, I mean... <laughs> There's a lot that goes on behind the, there was a lot that went on behind the scenes at RG, um, manager development plans, for instance, working with really great um, trainers that would come into the business in Pettigrew, working with us on strengths, recognizing the individuality of people, removing imposter syndrome and um myself for instance hosting monthly manager um sessions to open up communications and keep that tap like open keep it keep it flowing the communication there i don't think it's very common for a ceo to have a weekly conversation with a person like i was in my role we would meet every friday i tallied it up it was like 367 hours that doug and i had spent together talking Mm. (laughs) um and that then creates a flow of communication between all levels. It enables um, the managers to have somebody that that's they're guiding them who's completely separate to RG, um, having bringing in Ian and all the other experts we do. We put a lot onto inclusive hiring as well. So um, small businesses, and I love them. As I said, like I really like entrepreneurs. I love all sparks of ideas and creation amazing but when you're in that and you are building the business and it's growing at speed the easiest thing is to say ah well you're great at keeping clients maybe you should be head of this department and off you go they are not always the best people to be leading the roles and so much thought has to be put into job design and recognizing what character traits that that job is going to attract or need and whereas leadership recruitment is so different I think uh, you are looking for storytellers communicators people that are inspirers and there was there was that in the in the um, founder that they had at RG and then you had somebody who's great at telling stories with with Doug and those different characters there so that having um somebody doing it from the top would then make it easy for me to say, right, now you've seen it demonstrated by uh, the CEO, you need to create this as a manager in a micro level. So perhaps you're doing the end of the week wrap up with your team, reflecting on all the achievements and giving that recognition. And then the kickoff at the start of the week on a Monday would be when the CEO comes in and sets the tone for the week. Mm. And it went on like that. There were, um, it's just the way that my mind works, lots of patterns that were created or like frameworks that we would apply to everything so that people have got guidance as to how to manage managing when perhaps they're brand new to it or maybe they've been promoted in the team and now they've got to manage all their best mates at work that's quite a hard transition for people to make and they're going to need guidance we 
had separate to one-to-ones that would happen as well. We introduced um, well-being coaches, again, completely separate to the company, worked with Sanctus, um, one of the most loved benefits there at the time. And that gave other people, that gave people a space to go and just learn mindset tools that you would need. So it was all around developing growth mindset and it was done with intention and purpose and uh, underpinned with an inclusive hiring framework. Yeah. So that all sounds great, right? But I know you work with a lot of private equity Mm -hmm. businesses and the reality of life out there in the world right now is that almost everybody's cutting back, you know, Mm -hmm. in some way. They're cutting back on budgets. They're cutting back on workforce layoffs. So in those environments, leaders must be under pressure to emphasize some more tangible areas that they can deliver results so i say sanctus you know george has been on this podcast they what they do is amazing i absolutely love it i'm a massive believer in what they do but i wonder whether there's some leaders who think that's something we can cut because you know right now we need to do things which we can see short-term results on and i wonder whether they're conversations that you're having with people and that you have to push back against or whether you're saying well actually it's they are that things like that are fundamental drivers of building the type of culture which allows a company to grow how do short-term pressures influence the decisions that leaders are making yeah it is difficult there are businesses making a lot of cuts at the moment and like you'd have to be blind not to have seen and all the headlines around redundancies especially in the SaaS tech space over uh, the last year or so it's been a lot and it's been scary for employees watching that as well many people sitting in companies thinking when's it going to be us so how about if I told you that a client that I've worked with has been through something that this sort of change in their business but at the same time has focused on increasing communication increasing leadership alignment working wholly on strategy And the result of that announcement, because it was explaining why, how, what this meant, actually interviewing employees afterwards, I've been asking about their experience and they're saying, uh, my trust has increased in leadership. They're more, they're leaving as an advocate for the business. They feel valued and respected. It has been done in a way that takes them on the journey. Doesn't just say, email out, sorry, we're making um, this many cuts this week and we'll see what happens in the future. Don't don't underestimate people's intellect and uh, also their emotional intelligence as well. You have got to be very aware of both. And the positive thing for that is that those people will go on to work somewhere else but they will remain Mm. advocates for the company and talk of you fondly. You can churn through so many people on a yearly basis, but it's about delivering, as I said, respecting that they've been part of your story and making sure that they're sort of played out in the right way. So it Mm. is possible. I don't think redundancy has to be a dirty word that people are worried about. There's ways and means of making it um, a transformational opportunity for people. And if you invest in the growth mindset training before it's done and have your managers equipped to be 
embedding that in their teams beforehand, then people will be equipped to deal with this sort of thing. And it won't be a case of them leaving devastated, traumatized people that think think of yeah. uh, the devil when they think of your business. It will be thinking, well, that was hard. I appreciate what they went through. I wish every success for them going forward. And now I'm an ambassador for their company and will continue to to champion it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're telling me you shouldn't go on LinkedIn and cry at how upset you are that you're having to lay off half of your staff like that fella did last year. Oh, no, that's, I, thought that's, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Um, yeah, no, do you know what the thing is about that? You're right. I was always really conscious of this because in my last company, you know, we had two or three periods where we had to make redundancies, you know, particularly in the early days when we were just still trying to find product market fit and even then we, we started our, our last company during the great recession so you know it was not an ideal time to start yeah. a company and inevitably have difficult times so I was so conscious of leaving people who were leaving with a feeling that this was somewhere where they would want to work again if they had the opportunity rather than just feeling yeah. resentful however difficult that situation is but but I was also very conscious of the people left behind because I think we underestimate the effect it has on those that don't get made redundant of course in one sense they're relieved because they still have their jobs but what else well for a start they were their friends that are leaving and you know if I sacked you and treated you badly then your friend who sits next to you isn't going to be left with a positive impression yeah and also it's then about understanding well oh wait a minute we've lost 50% of our workforce so who's going to do their work because it felt like everyone was busy before. And so there's so many of these considerations. Well, here's the thing. If you want people to make the same decisions as you, as a leader, you need to give them the information that you've got so that they will Mm. come to the same conclusions. So if you're not communicating your financial position, if you're not communicating what you're learning from the external market and how that's affecting things, if you're not talking about your employee engagement scores that you've got and what your colleagues are saying about one another... If you've got all the information, but you're not sharing it and talking openly about it and asking people, what do you think on this? Then they're going to be making up their own ways of think how the business should be run and what they think should be done and not sharing it with you either. So I think it needs to be seen as a collaborative, collaborative piece there. And ultimately, it just becomes for people that are like, well, employees might think this. And for instance, like you said, in redundancy, what about the people that are left behind? But also for the leaders that are managing it, if that's all you care about, this way of doing things is going to be a hell of a lot more efficient for you. Mm. You are not going to be dealing with a complete fallout afterwards. You will then have uh, camaraderie between people to say, this is really crap, but we're going to get through this together. There's several instances of that happening and actually really great results, um, really results being seen at the end of it. I think... I think that's what people need to recognize something that um, something I'll go back to Rory, which I remember sharing with him. And he was like, you know, I'm I'm here, I'm doing it every week, (laughs) talking about things. It was a new way of operating for him as a leader. And what I said to him, I was like, I know it might seem difficult right now. And you might think week on week, there's nothing new to talk about, but just show up. Because you putting this work in now, inevitably, there's going to be a time when that company needs to go through some form of transformation or some sort of shift. And because he's shown up every week on week, people understand his tone of voice. They know his personality. He has instilled trust. People can read him because they've seen him so many times before. So that will make that 
very valuable investment when it comes to talking around the bad news or difficult news mm. or whatever's going to happen. I don't know. We'll just use that as an example. And the yeah. same with with um, Doug, for instance, when he showed up week on week to share what was happening through the business. People then know him. It didn't matter that he was in San Francisco. They can actually read his tone of voice. If I think around the times I've been sent a text message or an email and maybe it stung me so much, but that voice is because I'm reading it in how I think people are going to say it to yeah, yeah. And actually it's been something really nice, but I have had my guard up and people will think mm. that way because perhaps they've been burned by bad leaders before. So they will put this personality onto you, which perhaps isn't the case at all. And so yeah. getting people to realise this is an investment um in multiple ways, but especially making change a lot easier when it happens and a lot more amicable and a lot more efficient as well. It just all makes sense. Yeah. But by the way, I should uh, add that Doug was based remotely. He was the CEO, but he was based in San Francisco. And actually, he was the only person based on the West Coast, I think, wasn't he, within RG? But I'm, I'm conscious of time, so I have to wrap up in a minute. But mm-hmm. I started by asking you what you were most looking forward to for the year ahead. Is there anything else you either relate to that or anything else we've not discussed that you, you want to leave us with? I think exciting for um communication after the pandemic seeing how much the emphasis on that changed the people that picked it up and stuck at it and internal communicators being valued i suppose in the company Mm. i would i would be excited to be part of the reframing of how that role actually sits in business and influence as many leaders as I can to to have that role by their side to help them enact change. This is bigger than like if I was to if we were to talk for another hour. This is so much more than just things at work. Like effectively, essentially, how you talk to people at work is going to go on impact the rest of their day. If mm. you are impacting them in a negative way, it goes on to then impact their family, their community, the way that they will treat others. It's so important. It's not just around you being a leader and, and what that means on that specific hour of the meeting or anything like that. Words stick with people. So I'm really looking forward to working with more leaders and helping them recognize sort of the, the role that they play in transforming that and, and mm. building better communities. Mm. well you you might not be surprised to hear that i agree with the fact that work and life are interconnected Um, (laughs) uh, yeah Yeah. i've written something about that um well look thank you very much uh well we can do another hour at some point soon that's that's 45 minutes has gone too quickly but thank you very much for coming on the show thank you for having me ollie And that was my conversation with Kat. I hope you enjoyed that. Next week, I've got a really fascinating conversation with the founder and CEO of an organization which is addressing the problem of building connection between distributed teams. So make sure you tune in. Until then, have a great week.